Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of RM Sotheby's Car Show. In this week's edition, we're in the beautiful surroundings of the Royal Hospital Chelsea and we're attending Salon Privé London, an all new event which, well, let's just say it has a twist that makes it a little bit different to your average concourse. And in this episode, I catch up with my colleagues, Duccio Lopresto and Will Smith, as we soak up the atmosphere of the event, chat a little bit about the market and sit down with the co-founder of Salon Privé, Mr. David Bagley. And as always, if you want to watch the episode, then you can enjoy it in full and glorious Technicolor on the RM Sotheby's YouTube channel. And we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today, we are in the glorious surroundings of the Royal Hospital in Chelsea, in London, for the opening day of Salon Privé London, an all-new event uh, launching uh, this year. So we're delighted to be here. It's a glorious day. And I am joined by two of my colleagues. We have got Will Smith, one of our car specialists, and Duccio Lopresto, our business development director. So, gents, uh, how are you doing? Are you enjoying Salon Privé on this very fine uh, <laughs> April day? What can you say? It's a beautiful day, beautiful location, amazing cars. And I must say, after like two years of COVID, almost two years, it's great to be back, you know, on, on show. It is, Yeah, we, we, we yeah. haven't done many of these, you know. It's been a long time since we've been actually actively out there mm -hmm. at events, seeing our clients, seeing our friends. And it, it does feel really refreshing to do that again. And in this environment at the Chelsea Barracks, a great location here in London. Um, you know, anyone can get to this location. There's a real sort of sense of buzz about this event being kind of the first event of the year here in the UK in the classic car sense in, in, in a concourse capacity. And it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's a stunning Absolutely. day. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Yeah, we have really missed these events, haven't we? And uh, I, I know, you know, 2022 has is the first year in a couple of years where we seem to have hit the ground uh, with the world feeling like a normal place. We've had, what, three auctions, three yeah. live auctions yeah. this year, which yeah. has been great. We've had uh, Arizona, Amelia and Paris, and they all went pretty well. Are you feeling optimistic about the year ahead? Absolutely. I mean, it started in the best way possible, probably. Mm. We saw at, in Arizona, we had an amazing sale with like over 90% of the lots sold. Uh, and the US market is very hot at the moment. Huge. Uh, but also the European market, to be fair. Uh, Paris was a great sale yep. as well. So it's, uh, it's very interesting to see how the market is uh, doing after two years of COVID. Yeah. And we're very optimistic. Like Monaco is coming up For sure. with a very nice selection, selection of and, cars. And the interest is really, really, I mean, as a specialist, like you gauge the level of interest you have on a certain number of cars. And at this stage, you know, four weeks before the event itself, We've got a huge number of inquiries coming in on our cars, uh, and that's across the board from every specialist you speak to. So it seems the demand and, uh, is there, and, and obviously it seems that we put a great catalogue together. Um, one of the interesting points, though, Peter, about COVID and, and events like this is there has been a distinct lack of them, as we know, uh, to the tune that even the modern car manufacturers haven't had a Geneva Motor Show to show any of their cars. No, so actually, a lot of manufacturers are here this weekend yeah. showing their cars to the public for the first time, Absolutely. which, which you know, says a lot, I suppose, about this event and also the strange changes that we've seen in the last 
two years. Yeah, I mean, that is, it's a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because the Geneva Motor Show has been cancelled again for 2022. Yep. Yeah. That has, so that event hasn't taken place, I think, for three years, two, mm. three years. I can't yeah. remember exactly. Yeah. Uh, so these small boutique events, as well as being for the collector car market, they mm. are increasingly becoming relevant to the to the new car manufacturers, particularly the luxury and sports car manufacturers, Absolutely. because they are quite genuinely running out of live environments to sh in which they can showcase For sure, their, yeah. their, their wares. And the rise of, of social media, of you know, interest in the, in the digital place as well, has kind of you know, created a whole new space for manufacturers to promote their cars. Yeah. And they're now looking at more like niche events yeah. to get you know, the big collectors mm. and Salon Privé, Pebble Beach, Villa Dessa are the right places for them to, to showcase their cars. Yeah, and I mean, and this is a really interesting event, isn't it? This Salon Privé event because uh, it's no secret, and <laughs> no one is is hiding from the fact that pretty much every car on display here is for sale. It's, yes. It, yeah. it, the, the whole lawn here is covered with cars that are being offered by dealers. Yeah. And um, traditionally, concourse events. I say traditionally because we'll talk about that a bit more. Yeah. I mean, pre-war it was different, yes. but in the post-war era, concourse events have very squarely tried to detach themselves from being commercial Definitely. events where cars are overtly for sale. Yeah. But this is quite different, isn't it, Will? Um, the concept for sure. here. And, uh, you know, th for years, uh, ever since I came up in the industry, you know, in the last 15 years, concourse events have very much been restricted to privateers Sometimes with some trade support, you know, traders will be there to help their clients along or invite their clients along. But generally speaking, organizers of events like this want privateer entries, private guys to come show their car off. And, and, and the dealers, they haven't been excluded from that, but they have very much been to the sidelines. And, and there's been a sort of gray area, shall we say, as to what involvement a dealer should have within a concourse. And I think a few dealers have actually slipped up on that in, around the world, various concourse events overstepping the line perhaps. Um, but that said, this turns it on its head and, and it really is refreshing to see, you know, an event whereby dealers are center of stage and, and they can produce and show their wares, show their cars, and there's no sort of excuses being made for that. And, and, and private clients and trade clients alike can come along and mm -hmm. see what we have to offer. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's a really refreshing, uh, different take on on, 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 on the concept i i agree and and um, funny you know Ducci and i were talking about this earlier it, it quite often it's quite a frustration i think for for a lot of uh people that visit these events mm. to be looking at uh all of these wonderful cars knowing actually that none of them have sale yeah and, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you know you stumble across a ferrari dino and go oh that's yeah. that's it that's everything yeah. i want it's the right I color it's yeah. The right yeah you yeah. see how many times like i've been you know at villa Destro or pebble beach meeting like these collectors like mm. oh my god i love this ferrari i wish this could be for sale yeah. and it's never been it's never for sale it's yeah. like these collectors they would never sell it but this concept actually is great for collectors because they know that everything is for sale yeah they can buy their drink cards they yeah. can see it live yeah. talk with the dealer and share also like you know share opinion with their friends and so it's a great, really great concept. And, and also, because you've got the, the luxury and sports car manufacturers here selling mm. their wares, mm. you've got quite an interesting dynamic, haven't you, where somebody, somebody comes along, they've got a sum of money that they're prepared to spend, and they're looking at a new sports car from yeah. a manufacturer. 
And then they're looking at a car from the <laughs> 1970s yeah. and they're yeah. thinking, ooh, yeah. look at Wouldn't that. Look at that one. You yeah. know, yeah. And yeah. There's, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of arguments. You know, I'm, we're biased, right? We, we yeah. sell classic cars. But, but there are a lot of arguments to suggest that you know, you'd maybe not go and buy that brand new car that has, has just been produced and, and has expended a lot of carbon in order to get here to this show. To, you know, people are thinking a lot more consciously about their carbon footprint. And I always argue that classic cars is like recycling classic cars. You know, true. You are, you're passing it on. Very true. The car has already been made. The, the, the footprint of that vehicle's production has already been and gone. Yeah. And actually, by, by, by passing it on as a used vehicle, it's a lot better for the environment than yeah. buying a new one. Well, how funny. much do you use it? You don't drive it so often. So, no. Like the impact is little. It's interesting. We had our London sale at the, the end of last year, mm. and we did it in conjunction with the London to Brighton Fetch and Run, didn't we? Yeah, uh, which is. Is, a, an, an, is an event that we all know and love. And we had a marquee uh, in the centre of London, just at the end of Pall Mall, and it was full of old cars. And uh, almost inevitably, when you do something like that, there will be local residents in London who are not overly happy about a bunch mm -hmm. of uh, smoky old cars <laughs> being in the middle of... Very smoky. Be, be, being in the middle of their city. And, of course, there was the Regent Street concourse or motor show, which had a lot of veterans in it. And, of course, the counterpoint to moaning about smoky old cars being in London mm. is that... I mean, is there anything greener than a car made in 1890? I don't think there. I mean, that, talk talk about a car that's earned its place in the world. And as you say, True. Um, many of these cars don't do very much mileage. Yeah. So uh, no, I don't. Yeah, there's not a problem with that. I don't. Think. And I think also classic cars. Are, you know, there's an element of trying to find their place in the modern, the new modern mm. world that we live in, right? With with manufacturers now abandoning combustion. There isn't a place for combustion engines in, in modern manufacturing, True. and, and to the clientele and the, your average car buyer, you know that option is disappearing. Yeah. So actually, the, the the position of classic cars has changed even in the last, I would mm -hmm. say, two years yeah. has changed uh, within the perception of the public buyers because you know you're you're harking back to you know a, a time, a place, a nostalgia, which simply isn't available to buy even in your local Ferrari dealership now. Yeah. You can't go and buy a V8 normally aspirated Ferrari. Yeah. It has to be a V6 turbo. So, mm. you know, what are you going to do? You're going to come here and look at something different. And, and I think events like this give that, that opportunity to, to car buyers. And it's yeah. quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, when I'm chatting to my mates down the pub, uh, quite often, knowing what I do for a living, quite mm. a lot of them will say, well, aren't you worried about the market for classic cars? Because as we move into an electrified world, mm. Are they going to be legislated off the road? Are they of are, are the values going to simply fall away because you're kind of a prior if you drive one, or, yeah. or you're going to be made to feel that way, or yeah. or simply are people going to fall out of love with a traditional combustion engine car as we condition our brains to be driving electric vehicles? I struggle to see that happening. I think un unless we do get to a point where cars are, are literally legislated off the public yes. highway, yes. I do think, actually, further to what you said, we're going to get to a point where the desire to own something that has got the character of a classic car, mm. when, you know, people... And it's funny, the relationship that old cars have with the engine under the bonnet is quite close, isn't it? In a way, with a Ferrari, the emotional connection is with the engine. It's not, it, it's not really with the... What, what do they say about the Ferraris? You buy the engine, the rest of the car they throw in. So Ferrari was all about yeah. the engine. <laughs> yeah. He didn't care about the aerodynamics or the... It was all about the engine. So you yeah. can't detach people's love of the, you know, 
the engine under the hood yeah. from their desire to, to own particular types of cars. So I, I, maybe as we move more into a world where we're all driving, uh, you know, full-scale Tamiya electric cars around, <laughs> that's actually going to heighten people's desire to get into something that's got a bit more character to it. Absolutely. I, I think the, it will. Yeah, the emotion you get driving like a, an aspirated engine, like mm. it's irreplaceable. Like with an electric car, unfortunately, I mean, uh, today you can have the same emotion. And I think, you know, at some point it will happen the same thing that would happen with horses back in at the end of the 19th century. For sure. yeah. So, you know, with the creation of the automobile and with the replacement of the horse as a, a mean of transport, mm. uh, you didn't just kill off the horses in the world. You just created places for the horses to, you know, to be uh, driven. And mm. uh, the same will happen with classic cars, I think. In an electrified world, I think there will be places for people to drive the cars. Uh, track days, uh, uh, you know, races, probably like rallies as well, like the Mille Miglia, stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and they will become more and more, you know, a luxury good, things that people will want. But I think it's important for especially the next generation and younger people to be educated, to know about the famous races, to know about Le Mans, the legendary history of you know, the pre-war cars, Ferrari and so on. Because if they don't know the history, mm. then the value of the cars will be seen in a different way. Yeah. So it's all about, I think, edu educating these people. Yeah, and actually it's events like Salon Privé here in, in you know, the middle of London. Yeah. There's a lot of events like this have a lot of corporate hospitality. There's a lot of businesses that get involved, you know, whether they're banks or whatever, and they bring their guests. Now, a lot of those people, they have no knowledge of the classic car market at all. Sure, and yeah. historically, they may have had no interest in it either. Sure. They're not out buying the classic car magazines. Yeah. They're not consuming, you know, the media. They may maybe didn't grow up in a family that had any interest in cars whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So in fact, educating people into into this whole world is really, really important, isn't Absolutely. it? Um, because, I, I mean, I've got a couple of teenage kids. By the time they're 40 or 50 years old, they're, they, they're going to have fully kind of spent most of their adult lives in, in, in a completely different looking world where yeah. everyone's driving electric cars. You know, m my son's driving instructor is encouraging him to take his test in, a, in an automatic. Uh, because he's saying nobody's going to have a manual gearbox, you know, yeah, uh, sure. in, in a few years from now. What's the point of learning in a manual car? Mm. And I said to, I said to the, his driving instructor, I said, well, that's fine. But like my son wants to drive my old Land Rover. So, if yeah. he's, <laughs> so he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to learn what a, what a gearbox is. He can is. practice yeah. crunching your gears, Peter. He yeah, can. Exactly. He can. Yeah. Now, luckily, like uh, manufacturers like Porsche or Toyota, they're still like making sports cars with like a manual yeah. transmission. Yeah. Toyota just recently announced that the Supra will have also a manual mm. transmission, luckily. Uh, so not all, not all the hope is, uh, is gone. But yeah. it's a moving landscape, and I think that the, 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 I really think the manufacturers are, are messing up badly here. You know, a lot of them are losing their brand identity, the identity that they built over, you know, decades and decades yeah. and decades that people love them for. And I think that, that it's not up to us, but it, I, th I feel a responsibility to not only educate people, but yeah. to just to show the cars, to get the cars out there in the world, and, and and, and, and get them out there to people that are willing to share them yeah. with, with, with people. You know, I hate this concept of selling a car to someone that's going to tuck it away forever. It's never going to come out. It's never going to be driven. 
I, I, there's nothing I, I hate more than, than, than selling a car that I know isn't going to be seen and enjoyed. Yeah. Let's wrap up our conversation there. And what we're going to do now is bring in our guest, uh, and which is going to be David Bagley, who, appropriately enough, given our location here today, is the uh, co-founder of Salon Privé London. This event is very much David's brainchild, uh, David and his brother Andrew. And I think that they had a very defined idea about what they wanted this event to be and what they wanted it to bring to the marketplace. And given that we've just been talking about the need for the industry to introduce new people to the collector car market, you know, David's got a bit to say about that and how events like this are helping make that happen. So see you in a moment and we'll be back shortly with David. Beer? <laughs> So welcome back everyone to uh, the RM Sotheby's car show and uh, to a beautiful sunny patch of grass here at Salon Privé London. As mentioned previously, we've got one of the co-founders of the event, David Bagley, with us and David's going to tell us a little bit more about it. So David, uh, this is the first ever Salon Privé. Well, it's not the very first Salon Privé London, is it? So I'm, I'm going to backtrack on that. But you brought Salon Privé back to London, but in a slightly different way, haven't you? So tell us a bit more about it. So we launched Salon Privé 17 years ago, about two miles down the road at the Hurlingham Club, where it was a tiny little event with maybe 10, 12 exhibitors lunches every day and you know we had this dream that it would be what it now is but back then it was nothing like this little private members club and it grew from there after five years we outgrew um, Hurlingham Club moved to Simon Park literally on the outskirts of London but just to say we were saying London uh, outgrew that one after five years and now we're we reside now at Blenheim Palace where we've been for seven years and will now be indefinitely I mean Blenheim is our home the Duke is our patron and our friend it's a it's become this international destination event as you know Peter you know where we get through the concourse so many major 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 collectors that go into um, into into Blenheim what we wanted to do with London was to not kind of be lazy and simply step and repeat into London Andrew and I always had an ambition to bring the event back to London and um, you know where we sit at the moment with Blenheim it's it's end of August beginning of September so it, along with revival it kind of ends the season so we had an idea that we would kind of create a, an event a, a salon privé in the image of Blenheim but in London at the beginning of the season and we would bookend the the, the social calendar so we needed to find a venue that was that was um, you know the best venue there was the most suitable venue for our style of event and and um, it doesn't get much better than Royal Hospital Chelsea no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people uh, who aren't into cars will know it for the Chelsea Flower Show, for example, yeah. which is uh, an, an incredible event. And you yeah. have found an amazing location, and, yeah. and it does complement Blenheim, which is uh, also a beautiful location. Yeah. But the thing about bringing this event uh, to London uh, early in the year like this it, it is that, you know, as you've just alluded to, conceptually, this event is is different not only to, to your event at Blenheim, but actually to pretty much any other concourse that yeah. we that we know of at the moment, currently uh, running. In the sense that everything here is for sale, right? There is. I mean, the whole thing about so Blenheim is an IC Jag run event. It's a professional concourse, and because of that, all of the entries have to be privately owned and not for sale. 
we wanted to do a complete polar opposite. We don't like, Andrew and I like black and white, we don't like any grey areas. So we wanted to do the polar opposite of, of Blenheim and create a concours here, which as it says in French, a concours de vente, so a concours for sale, where every entrant is a dealer and every car entered is a car for sale. So completely turned it on its head. So whereas at Blenheim we have classic car exhibitors having exhibition space, here they enter the concours, they have the concours experience, the lunch and private lunch every day, the gala dinner tomorrow evening where we've introduced a, a karaoke themed evening. We've just brought a lot of fun to it. I think the thing that's different here is we, we have to have, we, the event wears many hats, you know. I personally look after all of the exhibitors, all of the, the OEMs, the automotive brands and so on and so forth. So it needs to be a platform for these brands to meet the right audience to launch and sell cars to. There's that side of it. There's then the classic side of it. And then there's the very important element, which is the social side of it. So it has to be an event that, that straddles all of these. It's, it's a motor show, but it's a fashion show. It's an experience. It's not an exhibition, you know. It's, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Duccio and I were talking earlier, and Duccio made a very good point that um, pre-war, well-known events like Villa d'Este, the whole purpose of that event was yeah. for manufacturers or uh, designers, coach builders, to bring their newest and latest and most Absolutely. beautiful product yeah. uh, to sell it, right? Absolutely. That's how like the concourse was born back in the days, like at Villa d'Este, for example. Like Touring would show their like new cars, uh, and that car was actually for sale. So the day after, the car was, was sold. So it's a, it's a great thing that you're bringing back like the actual roots of the Concours de Vente yeah. uh, back to Europe and uh, back to London in a I mean, fantastic location. You've grown up with Concours events, haven't you, Tutu? <laughs> a little bit. It's in your blood, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an expert. Bit. He's yeah, an expert. Yeah. It's great for us because, you know, when we, when we launched the, the concept of Salon Privé, the idea, because I'd run motor shows and auto salons before and I'd done that side, just to make sure we were on the right path with this one. We went to Pebble Beach, we went to, to Villa d'Este, and you know, we just saw what we wanted to, not copy, not aspire to, we just saw where we wanted to be in the market, you know. I wanted to do a motor show, but I wanted to do a motor show that was more of a garden party. I wanted to create a motor show where premium brand manufacturers could present cars to capable buyers. Sure collectors and owners so sure. it wasn't just the kind of motor show auto salon like I'd been doing previously yes. it was a it was a, a you know a marriage a marriage of wealthy people and, and expensive products it does what it says on the tin we make no apology for it yeah. you know and then you dress it into concours you bring the concourse side of it in and you end up with um, you know just some incredible collectors some people who just love cars for their art for their for what they are whether they're old or new yeah. Um, and, and I think what I like about the vibe here is that there's an event for everyone in this hobby, but the world of sort of high-end concours with, a, you know, Panama hats and blazers and everything is not necessarily for everybody. No. So um, the idea of coming to an event which has still got beautiful cars in a beautiful location, but where it's just a little bit more relaxed, it's yeah. a little bit more casual, that, that works really well doesn't it and we yeah. we were talking earlier about the need for this industry to bring in younger people historically if you've got cars from the 1950s 60s you've been selling them to late middle-aged men and um, people that remember those cars from their youth but of course a lot of those 
collectors and buyers and, and people that are just generally interested are slowly dying away. Yeah. So if you're going to, you need to find the next generation of people and you've got to yeah. engage, and there's a way to engage people. You, you know, need what, to inject fun. Yeah, you've got yeah. to make it you know, fun. Absolutely. 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 I've got to leave you. I've got to go and do a little bit of emceeing. That's uh, unbelievable. <laughs> we haven't even talked <laughs> about your MC role. <laughs> Don't worry, we will, okay. we will. See you. Ciao. Uh, talking about fun, I think what's different different here at Salon Prive compared to Pebble Beach and Villa d'Este is that those events are very static in a way. They're beautiful, like yeah. they're amazing concourse, but they're very static. While you are, you have this kind of fresh approach. So you're bringing like DJs, cool music. Uh, you're bringing like the fun experience to the Although this yeah. year they've scrimped on the DJ. Yeah, the DJ's <laughs> really, this event. really DJ bad. DJ Duccio. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like, I, th I think we do need <laughs> to make it known to the listeners that Duccio is the event DJ. And, I am. Uh, I asked him if he was going to be playing. Unfortunately for David, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked him earlier yeah. if we were going to get all the great hits from ABBA and I the Bee Gees, and he kind of looked. Duccio looked at me as if I <laughs> just stepped off a boat. Yeah, yeah. They, I've yeah. seen Duccio on the on the deck, so I know what we're in, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think with all these things, you know, you, you you're right. You know, you can. Th th there's a place for everything, and we don't try to be anything other than what we are. We like this space in the market. You know, you have the most amazing events like Goodwood where you have the hill and you have the revival and that is just in a world on its own, you know. You have the Silverstone Classic, which again is then racing, etc. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Salon Privé and, mm -hmm. and I, I think these events live in a similar world but they have their own little space within that world and they all provide a different experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, with us, the, the business model is very different with us because unlike other events or exhibitions, we don't work on footfall we're not interested in tens and tens of thousands of people we're interested in the right people coming to the event so our events will be you know give or take three thousand people a day um, and we keep it relaxed and calm and and we 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 keep the experience in it and and that's what people enjoy that's what people yeah. like no absolutely i mean this is what you do for a living <laughs> loosely put you know Allegedly, you yeah. earn a living. No, I, I think you do. I think it's okay. I think you're doing all right. Um, uh, you've got a black... Have you still got your black 355 Spider? I've got my black 35 F1, and I'm going to be adding nice. black 430 F1 Spider as well. Nice. Are you? Yeah. You're going to go for... Black, black. I want two blacks. Really? Yeah. To, 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 to straddle the, the, the electric jag. Yeah. <laughs> but full black? Black yeah. interior as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. what I want. I Great. just have this thing, do you? I, I'm... I'm as I'm sure you do with a lot of your cars, I like to just sit there and look at it. Absolutely. I like to look at the lines. Yeah, yeah. It's all about design for me. Yeah. This is why, I mean, this, at the moment, I don't have money for lots of new Ferraris. But even if I did, I wouldn't buy them because I, I, I buy what I like. I want to I get a 9912 C4S cab, black, black. Mm -hmm. I don't want a 991, uh, one, I don't want a 997, I just want to, I like particular you things. You know what you like. Yeah, yeah, and when I can get them, then I get them, you know, and, um, but my, my, my 355's in the garage at the it'll be ready when I come away from this, and the, the, hopefully the sun will be shining, I'll find the odd tunnel or two, open her up. Oh, yeah. You've got to use them, right? You've got to use these cars. Absolutely. Yeah. Cars are meant to be driven. And they are. I think especially those Ferraris from that area, yeah. it's all about like the sound of the engine. And well, mine has a Capristo on it, you know. It's, um, oh, yeah, so it's very loud. So it's very, very, That's very, very loud. Very loud. Yeah. And I, you I, feel a bit like a naughty boy when you're driving it. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you push your foot harder, 
it gets around to about eight, nine thousand revs and it's screaming. Oh yeah. And then yeah. it's like grin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I live in the countryside in West Sussex and I don't live that far from a town that some people will know called Petworth. And the, yeah. thing, the thing that a lot of people know Petworth for is that there's a, there's a great big stately home there, Petworth House. Yeah. And there's a sort of a one-way system through the town and it's, a lot of it is, has got a, a huge stone wall. Okay. Um, uh, and if you drive a car through that town, the noise bouncing off this stone wall is absolutely you incredible. You don't take the Lotus 3, do you? <laughs> well, I have driven the, I, I, my Lotus 11, which uh, has uh, no silencer on it at all. <laughs> so it just has, a from the manifold, a, basically a piece of scaffold pipe. It's, <laughs> a, quiet, it's a quiet car. Yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And, uh, but it's so embarrassing. I mean, having gone through Petworth in it a couple of times and, and upset everyone within yeah, three miles, I'm now not welcome back. If a car is made before 1980, yeah. Nobody cares what the mileage is, do no. they? You no. got a, you, you got a you date. Never ask the question. A Ferrari two seven five. Um, doesn't matter what it is. No. Porsche three five six. The value of that car. Nothing about the value of that car really is tied up yeah. in, in in the mileage. No. That's or, interesting. Or no. whether or whether it's had an engine rebuild because you know, show me a Ferrari two seven five that hasn't had an engine rebuild. Yeah. And in fact, what people are looking for are beautifully restored cars. Yeah. yeah. The weird thing is, you get past 1980, so let's just pick a car, a, a, a mid-80s Testarossa. Yeah. All of a sudden, the only thing that matters is the, is mileage. the mileage. Even mm. with the F40s. Mm. Or an F40. Like low mileage F40s yeah. now are like yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. prices. You've you got yeah. a 200,000 mile F40, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't give it away, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The price is different than <laughs> it, like a The price is significantly different. different though, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it makes the whole difference. Yeah. It You're does. totally right. It's a very yeah. interesting topic. It's a very, very weird topic. And, then, and mm. then, of course, you get to sort of modern hypercars and people expect to buy them with 300 kilometers. Yeah. yeah. And so nobody can drive them. Mm. Do you know what? I still, I, I don't get when you see these amazing hypercars and supercars changing hands through collections with maybe three or four five hundred miles on it yeah i wouldn't be able to have these cars in my garage and not put miles on them absolutely me too i i personally and each to his own people buy to invest and they you know they buy to swap in and swap out and for me car and i know for you guys cars are a passion thing absolutely you know for me i don't care if i put six hundred thousand miles on my f on my 355 yeah there'll be six hundred thousand glorious of miles. joy yeah Especially and, you know, in, a, in an electrified world where yeah. you can't really drive these cars anymore in the city centers. And for me, you it's know, the same. I don't think that'll be a bad thing, Duccio. I think going forward, you know, you protect the urban areas, you, yep. you know, you drive hybrid or electric, you know, there'll be speed limiters and whatever. There'll be a place for everything. It's just Absolutely. at the moment, you know, human tend to sort of it's like a pendulum you go from one to another don't you and it's a case of when it comes back into the middle point that's when we all realize that there is room for a 355 and there is room for an electric car and yeah. it's just in moderation mm -hmm. and, and and where you use them yeah you know it'll yeah. be um, yeah we were talking about that earlier weren't we about yeah. i mean you and your lotus alone i mean you just shouldn't be allowed out but well i shouldn't yeah, I mean, I've never calculated the emissions on it. I bet Lisa doesn't go out with the unit, does she? No, and, and no, no. nobody goes out no. with it. First, you need to rebuild the engine. Yeah, like, yeah I need to rebuild the engine. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, on that happy note yeah. that, that's got pound signs attached yeah, to it, yeah. um, uh, I, I think we're, we're going to wrap up this Brilliant. conversation. So thank, thank you very, you very much, much for joining us, though. It's a pleasure.
many thanks to David Will and Duke Show and the whole team at Salon Privé London. And as there was so much going on at the event, we'll be back there again for next week's episode, where we get the chance to catch up with the CEO of Everati Cars, Mr. Justin Lunny. And he's going to tell you a little bit about the future of classic cars in an electrified world. Until then, please remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy it, leave a review and, of course, tell your friends. Many thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.